Now, here we go. Tonight, message two in the series on Paul. Tonight, we're going to look at Paul the Jew. Last week, we looked at Paul the Cosmopolitan. We saw uh, that he was really a product of three different cultures, uh, Greece, Roman, and Jewish, and how uh, he had Roman citizenship, how he was uh, probably... Uh, a voting member in the Greek city that he grew up in and uh, that had individual rights that you didn't have when you were under the Roman Empire and then, of course, his Jewish faith. So tonight, uh, the big idea is this. Ask Christ to live his life through your life. Um, We'll see that Paul was a very deeply religious man. But it didn't do him any good. And he'll tell us about how he came to know Christ as his Savior, um, what he was like as a Jew. And so that will be in tonight's message. But once again, the big idea for the series uh, is based on Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ Uh, Whoop! I skipped a phrase. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so Paul was saying, yes, I'm alive, but it's really not my life to live. It's for Jesus Christ to live his life through my life. Uh, Many years ago, I met a brother in Christ who uh, tried to explain that to me this way. He said, imagine taking a flashlight, or if you're British-speaking, a torch, and uh, you put it in a shoebox, and you tape it shut, but you've turned it on before you put it in there. Well, you're not going to see uh, anything unless that shoebox is punctured uh, to let light out. So you take a sharp instrument, and you begin to make some holes in the shoebox. Well, then the light can shine out. And so we need to die to self so that Christ can live out of us and that light can shine. So we have uh, just very uh, simple points tonight. They're not really deep. Uh, The first one tonight is Paul the Jew, a rising Pharisee. And so let's uh, take our Bibles and go over to Acts chapter 22 in verse 3, Acts 22 verse 3. And then we'll also go over to the book of Galatians. Paul tells the crowd of people that are gathering uh, because they're upset about him as a Christian. Uh, He begins to address them in verse 1, Men and brethren and fathers, hear ye my defense which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew. That's the where we get the title tonight, Paul the Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous towards God as you all are this day. All right, now go over to the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 1. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 14, uh, he gives us some more insight about his life 
before Christ, his life as a Jew. He says this in verse 14, And profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. So Paul is telling us what he was like when he was a Jew. He was a zealous Jew. He was a devout Jew. Um, we're, we're going to see that uh, he was a rising Pharisee. He was born of a Pharisee. He's the son of a Pharisee, and he was a Pharisee himself. Uh, his teacher is even listed here, uh, Gamaliel, and um, a very famous Pharisee. But typically when you think of the word Pharisee, It has a negative connotation. Now, as a Christian, we would think that all Pharisees were the hateful, murderous kind, uh, doing it with intent and malice in their heart. But I don't believe that was Paul. I believe Paul was zealously trying to pursue God and not in the traditional Pharisaic way of being a hypocrite. I think Paul was genuine and uh, he was prospering in his faith and he was advancing uh, throughout the ranks. Um, And so we'll explain some more of this. Um, Do you know who the author of Acts is? Luke, all right? So he also is the author of Luke. And so if you count the words, Luke is the one who actually wrote more inspired words of the New Testament, all right, between the two books than than Paul's writings. But in Acts chapter 5, verse 34, uh, Gamaliel, the respected scribe of the Pharisees, settles a commotion prompted by the preaching of Peter and John, uh, by inviting them to consider the providence of God to determine the apostles' fate. He says, look, if this thing is of God, we're not going to stop it. Well, isn't that an unusual thing for a Pharisee to say? This sect, this way, Christianity... And so this demonstrates a positive characteristic of the Pharisee uh, in their high view of divine providence. Uh, They maintain that God cares deeply enough um, to determine um, his people, that they ensure that his will is accomplished. Do we as Christians today believe in the sovereignty of God? Absolutely. So is it possible for a Jewish person today to believe in the sovereignty of God? Absolutely. Um, Years ago, I was privileged to meet Ari uh, Ben David, uh, son of David, and he was a young man during the uh, 19, I think it was 72 or 74, somewhere where there was a war uh, in the Golan Heights and all the nations were coming through. And uh, as a believing Jew, he was in the minority in the army, and um, many of his uh, very devout Orthodox Jewish friends in his military unit 
they were all taking cover and bullets were flying over their head and they were terrified. And then he just felt of God that he needed to trust the providence and the sovereignty of God. So he looked over at his friends and he said, I'm a follower of Yeshua, the Messiah. And I'm going to stand up and I'm going to go fight. Are you with me? And he stood up and he charged the enemy position and they took it out. Even though there was great fear, they followed the example of a man who believed in the providence of God for his nation. And so, yes, Jews today can still believe in the providence of God. Um, If you would go for just a moment to Acts chapter 15 and verse 5. Acts chapter 15, verse 5. Verse 5 says, But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which did what? Believed. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that there were Pharisees that believed in Jesus as the Messiah? Yes, absolutely. Now, you see the tension here in verse 5. Uh, about their view of how you grow as a Christian, uh, they believed that it was needful to, be, to circumcise them and command them to keep what? In the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders came together for to consider this matter. And when you read Acts chapter 15, it says there was no small dissension. And that means, folks, that they had a big fight at church all right, over this very thing. So, yes, many people are believers in Jesus, but they try to pursue the growth of the Christian life through legalistic means. And that's not a way to grow as a Christian. You grow as a Christian the same way you became a Christian, by grace and faith. But isn't it surprising that many of the Pharisees believed on Jesus. That's not something that we typically think of. And of course, for us as as Christians, we look at Paul and say, well, he was probably the greatest Pharisee who became a Christian. And uh, so they were trying to maintain that Gentile Christians must be circumcised and observe the law of Moses. Uh, But that, we know, uh, was done away with. Uh, And that's the whole point, by the way, of the book of Galatians, if you read the book of Galatians. It's not the way that you pursue your Christian growth. All right, let's move on. Um, Let's go over to Acts 23. Paul was in tune with... you might say, the makeup of the council of rulers in Judaism. Uh, There were not just Pharisees, but there were also Sadducees. So if you look at verses 6 through 10, but when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, how does he identify himself? I was a Pharisee? No, he says, I am a Pharisee. 
You know what the word Pharisee means? It means separated ones. So, is that necessarily wrong to be separated? I mean, after all, that's what God commands in First Peter, Second uh, Peter one fifteen. Um, be holy, for I am holy. And then in Galatians, uh, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians six, he says, "Come out from among them and be separate." So it's not wrong to separate ourselves from sin. It's wrong to have an arrogant attitude as we do that, thinking that we're more righteous and better than other people. But he identifies himself. Even as a Christian, he says, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, and the hope of the resurrection of the dead I am called into question. So, what did the Pharisees believe about the afterlife? There's a resurrection. Do we believe in a resurrection? I mean, what's Easter about, folks? Right? And, and so there are many things that you could say a Pharisee and a Christian might have in common. Uh, we're separated ones. Uh, we believe in a resurrection. We believe in supernatural beings such as angels. We believe in miracles. Uh, by the way, did you know that believing in miracles is still a fundamental of the faith today. It's a basic, irreducible minimum that you can't get rid of because if you get rid of it, well, then you don't believe in the basics of the Christian faith anymore. Can God do miracles or can He not? Yes, He can. And so, these men here uh, believed very similar to Paul, but yet they didn't believe in Christ as Messiah. And so when he had said so, verse 7, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees part arose, and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel hath spoken to him, let us not fight against God." And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them. <laughs> okay, so can you imagine on one arm the Sadducees tugging against Paul, and the other arm the Pharisees pulling to try to get him away? And Paul's, ah, wait a minute, guys, I'm not flexible anymore. <laughs> okay, and so lest he be torn into pieces by the groups, the chief captain comes in commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and to bring him in to the castle. Now, I want us to go back to verse 1 since we're in chapter 23. Um, looking at verse 1, it says, And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Do you think that covered his days when he was a Jewish Pharisee? That he tried to have a good conscience? I believe it did. All right? So he was trying to live his life in such a way that he would not offend God. Uh, let's go over to chapter 24, verse 16. 24, verse 16, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a good conscience, void of offense toward God and toward men. You know, that's one of the verses the Holy Spirit used to convict me of my need of salvation. Is my conscience was not right with God or with men. And I knew it at the age of 20. 
and I had to repent and put my trust in Jesus. That happened on June 14th, 1988. And so... Paul uh, tries to have a good conscience uh, in his life, even as a Jewish man. And I'm going to read one other verse to you. This comes from uh, the book of Philippians, so Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 6. This is what his testimony is before he becomes a Christian. Okay. Verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, what word? Blameless. So was Paul using some other standard to judge himself, or was he using the Bible? He was using the Bible. And so he thought he was sincere in his conscience in thinking that he was blameless until he meets Jesus. But Paul was a rabbi and a quoter of rabbis. In Acts chapter 24, the king tells him, Paul, you're beside yourself. You've gone mad because of your much learning. Um, by this time in Judaism, if you were going to be a rabbi, you had to study certain documents and to be familiar with these. These documents then were the written oral traditions of previous rabbis. And so Paul the rabbi became a quoter of rabbis, and that settled it. All right? When you quote a famous rabbi, <laughs> argument over, right? And so Paul knew all of the rabbis that are in the Madrishim, uh, the Halakha, and the Haggadah. Um, these are voluminous writings. Um, I mean, they're thick. And so he has an advanced religious degree within Judaism. He knows the stuff. He knows what the rabbis taught. And, um, but you know, One of the things I find very interesting about the Apostle Paul is that his teaching is so simple and straightforward. If you read a letter that Paul writes to Christians, he starts out in the first half of his book, and he gives us doctrine, 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 doctrine. But then the second half of the book, he takes that doctrine and and that glorious theology, and he puts it right down here where we live. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Uh, Slaves, obey your masters. In other words, employees, obey your employers. Um, Wives, see that you respect your husbands. Um, Don't steal. Don't lie. Set your affections on things above. And so he becomes very practical. And as a rabbi... One of their systems of teaching was called allegory. Are you familiar with allegory? I've been trying to tell you a little bit about that on Sunday morning, where there's a meaning behind a meaning behind a meaning behind a meaning. Isn't it interesting when Paul became a Christian that he gave that up? What does that say for us as Christians? I think it says to us that we are not get involved in that. Okay? 
Now, there is just a couple of instances where the Holy Spirit used allegory to stress a teaching, but it's clearly identified, such as in the book of Galatians. And so it's not the norm. Now, here's my point all about Paul's religious upbringing at this point. Religion does not make a person righteous. Paul pursued his faith in good conscience, but his conscience was deceived under a religious system. Being the good old boy because you were from the south means nothing to God. Just because my sophomore year I won the Mr. Outstanding Christian Student Award in my Christian school had no bearing on the fact that when I went home, I was an egregious rebel, screaming and yelling, disobedient, hateful. But on the outside, I looked right. And it wasn't until I was a sophomore in college that I came to repentance and understanding that, you know what, the religious system that I grew up under, well, that didn't make me right with God. Only faith in Christ can do that. So let Christ live his life through your life. Don't let religion live through you, but rather let Christ reign through you. All right, now, very quickly, we've got two more points. Paul, the Jew, becomes a persecutor of the church. And so he said, as to zeal, what did he do? He persecuted the church. What would you do? Would you defend the faith if somebody, a guest speaker, came here in a couple of weeks and stood up and said, you know, the Bible's full of mistakes, that Mary was not a virgin. She was an immoral woman. You know what? All these miracles that Jesus did, there's a scientific explanation for them. What would you do? Would you defend the faith? Or would you just passively sit there and allow that to go? Well, see, that's what Paul's thinking. Our faith is under attack by these crazy Christians. They're a minority sect of Judaism. We have to keep Judaism pure. So with zeal, he attacked what he perceived as false doctrine, trying to defend, quote, Judaism, the faith of Judaism. But now let's go over to Acts 8.3. Acts chapter 8 introduces us to Stephen, the first martyr, and uh, says here in Saul, which is Paul, was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution that arose uh, against the church, which at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions, Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, verse 3, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. All right? So Paul was so zealous about this, he becomes religious police. And he literally goes around and arrests people. 
And we'll explain how he got that authority uh, to do such a thing. But look with me at verse 26. Uh, I've got the wrong, um, this should be chapter 26, but we'll hold on to that. Let's go over to Galatians chapter 1 for just a moment. All right, in Galatians chapter 1, uh, we will see what Paul was like before he became a Christian and his zeal in his hatred against Christians for what he perceived as false teaching. All right, so uh, chapter 1, he begins to share with us what he was like in verse 13. For you've heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. This is verse 13. And profited in the Jews' religion above many my uh, equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. Okay? So he becomes a persecutor of the church. And uh, so we see him in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. He's the coat tree for all the guys that are throwing stones at Deacon Stephen and that murdered Stephen. He becomes the first martyr. And uh, he was in agreement with that. He thought that was a righteous and a good cause. Okay? Isn't it kind of scary what people can do in religion if they think they have a righteous and a just cause? Yeah, it is. All right? We saw what could happen in 9-11, didn't we? All right? And so uh, let's go over to chapter 9, verse 31. I think uh, this is Acts where I want us to go we'll see that maybe there was some official capacity that Paul had more than just being a zealous Jew or just being part of the Pharisaic party, but maybe he actually took a leading role in all of this. Um, we see what happens in chapter 9 as Paul is converted Verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters um, to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around him a light from heaven. And he fell to earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou art persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but not seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth, and went with his eye, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand, and brought him unto Damascus. All right, but now look at verse 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. 
the chapter ends in an abruptly different way than it, when it begins. It was Paul, the Jew, becoming a proselyte. He's converted. Now, we see at the beginning of the chapter, he gets official letters from the high priest. So he carries governing documents, authority, power, to arrest people and to put them to death for being Christians. But when he's converted, all of that stops and the church prospers. So, was Paul part of the Sanhedrin, which is the Council of Seventy that ruled the nation? I'll show you another verse in just a minute that gives us a clue that he might have been. But a bare minimum, you might say that he was the bouncer. All right? Um, he was the, the henchman. He, he was the guy that would go out and do the bloody work uh, so the high priest wouldn't have to. And so he was very sincere about this. Uh, let's go over to chapter 26 for just a moment. We'll read verses 9 through 12. 26, verse 9. I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were they put to death, what is it the end of verse 10, what does it say? I gave my voice or my vote against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. He made Christians blaspheme. Being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto a strange cities. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things which, in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from Gentiles unto whom I now send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. So, in other words, he's saying, I got saved right then and there. And I was obedient to the call to gospel ministry. But I find it interesting here in verse 10, um, the idea of giving his voice here 
is the casting of, of pebbles, white and black stones. Black, you're guilty. White, you're innocent. So some see in this verse the possibility that Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, a young, rising Pharisee, and that he was the one who was willing to uh, take it upon himself, hey, that's my action item. I've got it, guys. I'm, I'm going to go do this. I got you covered. Just leave it to me. Just make sure I'm, I'm legally covered as I go about my work, but I'll go get those Christians. I'll, I'll, I'll get rid of them. I'll take care of this problem. And then he meets Jesus. And Jesus takes care of the problem. And the church doesn't have a persecutor anymore. It has rest. So, um, we jumped ahead just a little bit by reading our third point. Paul the Jew becomes a proselyte. So here in chapter 26, he's standing before King Agrippa in verse 7. Um, and he begins to share his story about how he became a Christian. And um, so then he's also uh, before um, another political leader in verse 24. And as he spake thus for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Do you realize that a lot of people in this country think that Jesus Christ is the enemy of sane, rational people? That Christianity is the reason for all the problems that we have in America today? Yep. They think we're mad. But we're not mad. Not at all. We are just speaking forth the words of truth and soberness. Isn't it a sobering reality to preach a message that all are sinners separated from God going to an eternal hell? That's a sobering reality. But the good news is there's a Christ who died on the cross. When we believe in Him, we can have the forgiveness of our sins and have a different destiny. Through repentance and faith, we can spend eternity in heaven. These are reasonable words. These are righteous words. So now let's go back just a couple of chapters to chapter 22. And uh, we'll see another point here where he shares his story on how he came to know Christ. Now, do you know President Biden had a son who passed away of cancer just a few years ago? Do you know that? Um, there was a gospel-preaching independent Baptist chaplain that was working in the hospital and went to his son's bedside and shared Jesus with him. Some people have actually been able to share the gospel with the presidents of the United States. Queen of England has heard the gospel. The 
God has divine appointments for us. But you know how Paul shared the gospel with these powerful and influential people? He just told the story of what happened to him. That's what he did. What do you have to do to share your faith with somebody? Share your story. One night we were out to dinner with a young teenage girl that she wasn't a believer, but our church was so small and desperate we we couldn't find a piano, so we hired somebody from the local uh, piano guild in our community. And uh, she came and played the piano for us each week, and as a thank you, we took the whole family, her whole family, out to dinner. And uh, very intelligent, uh, independently wealthy family. And um, we were sharing the gospel, and it kind of became a little cerebral and intellectual, and we realized that the Holy Spirit wasn't in that. And so Janice just stopped the conversation. She said, let me you know, kind of change this. And so she just shared her personal story. You know what? The Holy Spirit used that to make a lasting impact on that family. People aren't going to tell you that you didn't change. People aren't going to call you a liar that you believed in Jesus. I mean, if that's what you're saying, that's what happened. And so this is what Paul does when he stands before influential people. And... um, So we see in in chapter 22, he tells the same story again. We saw at the beginning uh, what's going on. And um, verse 4, And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom I also received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. He falls down. He hears the voice of Jesus talking to him. Um, It's hard for you uh, to kick against the pricks. You're persecuting me. And... um, Verse 10, what should I do, uh, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go to Damascus, and there it shall be told of thee all the things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came to Damascus, and one Ananias, a devout man, according to law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, You know, when God told Ananias to go greet Paul, he's like, God, are you sure? I'm supposed to go greet this guy? I mean, I thought he's on his way here to take me a prisoner and take me back to Jerusalem and punish me, put me to the death. Are you sure you want me to go and call him brother? Brother? Yes. He's become a child of God through faith in Jesus. Call him brother. Receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him, verse 14, and he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord." 
And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance and saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beaten every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiments of them that slew him. And he said unto him, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto who? Gentiles. So God had a specific purpose for Paul. Go tell anybody who's not a Jew about Jesus. Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. So if you're not Jewish tonight... Well, then most likely through Paul's efforts and those that he trained, you have received the gospel because of this man's work. And um, so they were all very much listening. Verse 22, and they gave him audience unto this word and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out, and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air. The chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging that he might know whereof they cried so against him. Now, uh, do you think that Paul's witness had an impact? Okay, verse 27 of chapter 26, and we'll close with this. Acts 26, 27, and 28. King Agrippa... Believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Wow. The Holy Spirit of God was working in a powerful king. He was under conviction. And all Paul did was just share his testimony. Shared his personal story, how he came to know Jesus. You know, God can put somebody under conviction when you share your story. A simple story has these three statements. Before as a Christian, then I believed in Jesus. And now since I am a Christian. So what were you like before, Christian? And then make a simple statement. I have received the gift of eternal life. And then tell people what your life was like before. So before Christ, I was guilt-ridden, crushed by the weight of my sin. Friend said to me, what's bothering you? Don't want to tell you. You wear it on your face. Then, June 14, 1988, I received the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. And now, I have joy knowing that all my sins have been dealt with. And I have a good conscience with God now and people. And so Paul says, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. I want everybody to be saved. I want them to be like me. Minus these chains, of course. But 
I'm a believer in Jesus, and I wish everybody could be too. So, don't live under religion. Let Christ live his life through your life. Go out this week and tell your story.